Good evening. Good evening. I'm Michael. Uh, I'm Michael. I'm the newest member of staff here at HCC, uh, and it really is a joy to be with you. This is the first time um, that I've um, that they've let me loose um, at the six, which is very kind um, of them. Thank you so much, Jago, for making all of us that are new feel very uncomfortable. Uh, so if you're in the new crew and you haven't been here for more than six months, I apologise. I felt just as awkward as you did just then. Um, so I, just, I should probably tell you a little bit about myself. Um, I'm married to Emma and I said a few weeks ago when I was interviewed, she is the best thing about me. And for those of you that come to the 11, you'll know why. She's like, oh yeah, yeah, that's right. And I have two really beautiful babies. I've got Theo, who is three and a half, and Arabella, who's eight months old. And we call her Pudding um, because she's really round and chubbly and, and she really likes it when I just kind of do that in her fat rolls. Anyway, um, so and it's, 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 let's, can I just be candid? Because it's quite. It's, I've been I've been asked to speak on the cross and suffering, which is quite an awkward subject for my first time. Because you're gonna you're getting to know me, I'm getting to know you, and da, da, da. and and I made the decision rather than kind of offer you drivel. Um, I thought we'll be honest and we'll tackle these things head on together. You know, because there's no point in me wasting your time. You know, our time's precious. You know, I've, I've moved my family from North London to South London, and I haven't done it so that, you know, I can basically give you warmed up dishwater murk that you go away going, he hasn't told me anything. So I'd like to try and, we're going to grapple with these things today. Is that okay? Okay, so we'll start with, with this. Um, my son was baptised and he was given a whole host of presents. Some were good, some were rubbish. And um, this is the Candle Tiny Tops Lift the Flat Bible. Um, it's not stories from the Bible, it's Lift the Flat Bible. So we're just going to do this together. So you've got Noah and his boat. Um, you've got Moses in the river. You've got Daniel in the lion's den. You've got Jonah in the great fish. You've got Jesus born in a stable. One boy's lunch that feeds 5,000. You've got the lost and found coin. And then you've got the man who is put through the roof, roof and then is healed. Do you know what they missed out? The cross. <laughs> With, this is why he doesn't read it. This is, a, this is a sermon illustration book. Because without the cross... This is absolutely nothing. These are nice stories, but without the cross, they lose all of their value. And if we get the cross wrong, we don't have anything. And the cross becomes absolutely priceless when it comes to our own suffering. When it comes to things like our grief and our despair. If we remove the cross, it's like removing the wheels of a bike. You have nothing. It's absolutely priceless. When we feel like God has left us, when he's left us in the greatest hour of our need, when the sin of others has kind of ruined our lives, or in suffering and sickness, depression, despair, old age. What does God have to say for himself? What about broken dreams of marriage? Broken desires of having a family? What about losing a job or losing a house? All of this falls under the resounding cry, God, where are you? Even in the face of death, where is he? 
And if we don't have the cross, we have nothing. Because this is the key. My son, who's so sweet, one day he is going to experience real life. The real life you and I have experienced. And this is going to be as helpful to him as Thomas the Tank Engine. Because he's going to grow up out of Thomas the Tank Engine. And this doesn't provide anything. Now, some of you are new to HCC. And in your mind, you're going, golly, this guy is intense. (laughs) Flipping Nora. (laughs) I thought this was just the Sunday thing before we went to the pub. No, listen, because what I want to do is I want to give us something tangible. I don't want to just give us drivel. But I've raised two massive questions. I've raised things about God and suffering and why does a good God allow suffering and I've raised the kind of cross and some people just thought, oh, that's a tattoo but, and he's kind of going, it's important. And Well, we can't deal with all of those questions here. Okay? We, 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 just, we just can't because there's too many of us. There's this wonderful opportunity called the Alpha Course and I'll be doing it and, and what happens is we have a meal together and then a short talk and we're in small groups and there we can raise the questions because already I can hear because you're saying it very loudly with your faces. Hold on a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on. And what I'd love to do is for us to kind of grapple with those questions. So the Alpha Course, you'll see that there's kind of these little leaflets on your rows. Do pick it up, because actually for some of us, we've gone, I'm not even there. So do enjoy the sermon. Think, is it interesting or um, whatever. But if, if you're grappling with those questions, Alpha, we'd love to have you for Alpha. So do sign up today. It starts in two weeks and we'd love to have you. But for many of us, we're kind of beyond that, but we've never really thought much about the cross. The cross speaks into the very worst of our lives, the darkest and most painful, and Christians should always have something to say. Because for everyone else, your two options are either luck or karma. We have the cross. So what does the cross say to us in our suffering. I feel like I should pray because I felt like that was a bit heavy to start with. So I'm going to pray and then we'll carry on. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are good. We thank you that um, you brought us here together to explore this difficult subject. And we ask Holy Spirit that you would do a work in our hearts. Amen. One final thing before we dive in. My, my, I said to my wife, what should I tell them? You know, my first sermon. Um, and say, warn them that you're going to wave your hands around a lot so that they don't think you, you know, so they, they know that you know that you wave your hands around a lot. So I'm just going to wave my hands around for the next 20 minutes. I hope that you enjoy it. Okay, so um, at the end of your rows are these little sheets of paper um, with the kind of, with, with um, just the Bible verse. Or you could get out a real Bible, either way. <laughs> Only joking. Um, and so, because, because if you read through the Gospels, if you read through the Gospels, it's very clear that there's this relationship between God the Father and God the Son. So if you flip over to the other side, the one with all the verses, listen, listen to how the Gospels describe the relationship between the God the Father and God the Son. This is at his baptism, Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. At the transfiguration in Mark 9, then a cloud appeared and covered him and a voice from the cloud said, this is my son whom I love. Listen to him. 
This is how John describes the intimate relationship of God the Father, God the Son. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, just before the cross, this is what Jesus prays. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. And then, in Jesus' greatest hour of need, have a look at me, flip over. Mark chapter 15, verses 33 to 34. At noon... Darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. And at three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabafani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All through that says, Jesus is going around going, the Father and I are one. If you know me, you know the Father. And then in his greatest hour of need, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the response, silence. No clouds parting, no I love you, no angels tending. Silence. Now Jesus is quoting a psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he's quoting Psalm 22, verse 1. It's a poem that David wrote. And when he wrote it, and when you and I kind of say it, we say it because it feels like we've been forsaken by God. Now, the only person who can know they are forsaken by God is God himself. So when Christ is saying it, he's saying it not only because he feels like he's forsaken, but it's because he is forsaken. And what I want to do now is to tackle two ways, there are a whole host of ways, but two ways in which Christ was actually forsaken on the cross. The first is this, culturally. If you flip back over with me on the sheet, this is, this is Paul writing to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified, which is what I'm doing now. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Why is that? Why is it a stumbling block and foolishness? Well, for the Gentiles, which is the Romans and the Greeks, it's because a crucified human cannot be a God. Because a crucified human is less than a human. At the heart of the crucifixion, it was to degrade a human being so much so that everyone that looked upon them and was considering doing what they're doing, they would go, never. It was so abhorrent that if you're a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. It was a horrendous way to die. And when a prisoner and Jesus was sentenced to execution, what would first happen is that they would gather in the courts and he was stripped naked. Forget all the crucifixions with the loincloth. He was stripped naked and he was tied to a pole and he was bent over and then he was whipped. And the whip was made of leather cords and at the end of the leather cords were shards of metal. And what that did was to rip open his back. And the whole point of doing that was to take the prisoner as close to death as possible. 
We read about it, don't we, in, in the passion narrative that Christ himself could not even carry his own cross. And all of this was promised. We had it at the beginning of the service. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 5. For he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. If that's true, he had to have wounds. That psalm that he begun with, in verse 6, it says, But I am a worm and not a man. Now, the shame and the scorn, it turns into mockery, even in the psalm. Verses 7 and 8. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. And mockery was a common part of the crucifixion. It was the public spectacle. And then as Christ makes his way from the court to Golgotha, he's a bloodied nobody. And then, of course, we have the crucifixion itself. We know that the nails didn't go in the hands, but the wrists, which was to hold the body up. And then the legs were contorted so that there was only one nail straight through the feet. It puts it in perspective, doesn't it, when we kind of scoff out those words in our comfortable Clapham man of sorrows. Naked, mocked, scorned, gasping for breath. It was the most degradable death imaginable. And therefore, for the Gentiles and any thinking person, it is foolishness to think anything could come from that. But more than that, more than that is his community, they forsook him. Have you ever wondered why the Jewish leaders didn't just stone Jesus? A year later, they're going to do exactly the same thing with Stephen on the same charge. Blasphemy. In that same court, the Sanhedrin, and they stone him. Have you ever wondered, why didn't they just stone him? Why go through the difficulty of crucifying him? More than the horrific nature of crucifixion under Roman law, it was more degrading in Jewish culture because of God's own law. Turn with me. So Deuteronomy, you can see it on the back of your sheet. Deuteronomy chapter 21, verses 22 and 23. These are the words written in God's own law. If someone guilty of a capital offense is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. That's why crucifixion was so important. And anyone in the Jewish community who would have thought something of Jesus would have seen this public bloodied spectacle and gone, he can't be anything. He's cursed. God himself has said he is cursed. So he must be cursed. You might remember one of Jesus' followers, Joseph, goes to the authorities and says, can we give him a proper burial? And that's because for crucifixion, what would happen is your body would stay there for a while, often being eaten by birds, and then it was ripped down, it was taken outside the city and burnt. It was the most horrific way to die, both by Roman and Greek standards and, of course, by his own community. It resoundingly says, you are nothing. Greeks and Romans, and you are cursed 
to his own community because God himself has said, you are cursed. So he's forsaken culturally. But he's also forsaken spiritually. Now, we need to be careful here. With God, we've got the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And we're not saying that was broken because if that was broken, God would stop being God. But in that second person of the Trinity, God the Son, we see that he was fully God and fully man. And then it says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. All the sin in the whole world was bore by Christ, all of it. And it's the key to understanding how Christ's death relates to our own feeling of forsakenness. In our own pain and suffering, illness, despair, disheartenment, we experience what it's like to live in a world that is marred from God's original creation. It's not marred beyond repair, but nevertheless broken, and it needs to be fixed. And the reason it's marred is because of sin. In a fallen, broken creation, sin affects everything. It doesn't remove God from his creation, but we experience a world not like God created. And we experience at times that forsakenness, but God is still in his creation. No one has experienced the full forsakenness of God apart from Christ himself. Christ had to experience the full forsakenness in order to put everything right. He had to take the full punishment for the sins of the whole world. And that punishment is forsakenness from God. Now, what does, what does, that, what does that mean? What does it mean to remove God? You hear lots of people say, you know, I, I, I wish I was in hell if, because that's where God isn't. You, you know, I've... I've got lots of friends and they say, oh, I'd rather be in hell if there's no God. Yeah. But what does, it, what does it mean to experience, for a moment, total forsakenness of God? Because for the Christian, we believe that God is everywhere. You know, he's, his fingerprints are in creation. His fingerprints are, are in us that we're made in the image of God. So what does, it, what does it mean? Well, let's take something arbitrary. Just one thing like joy. Throughout the Bible, it, it tells us that God is a God of joy. He longs to have a community for himself so that they can have joy. It, sing, it talks about how he sings joy over us. It talks about how he longs for us to know joy. One of the gifts, the fruits of the Spirit is joy. And what he does is he gives humanity, which are made in his image, part of that characteristic. So you and I can experience Joy, no joy, remember joy, hope for joy. We get to enjoy that characteristic of God. Make sense? So if you remove God, what you have to do is you have to remove every aspect of who he is. So when Jesus is forsaken on the cross, he experienced in a moment the totality of never remembering, knowing, hoping, or ever experiencing joy ever again. I want you to imagine a world where joy not only couldn't be felt, but doesn't exist. 
That's what it means when Christ experienced on the cross the full forsakenness of God. And you could do that with any of the characteristics of God. Peace, love, beauty, grace, hope, compassion. Christ experienced this because God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit wanted and desired us to never be forsaken. It had to happen. There was the perfect reason for the forsakenness of Christ on the cross. You and me. So culturally, he was cursed. It's true. He was cursed. Paul even tells us that it's part of the plan. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, here it is, Deuteronomy, cursed is everyone who is hung on a pole. Next time you have a moment, have a look at our stained glass windows. Christ is on a tree. That's how important they thought here at this church and the legacy of this church, that it's important to remind ourselves that he hung on a tree to take the curse. He took the curse. He was culturally forsaken, but in his physical pain, he brings healing. As he is cursed, he brings life. The curse of sin, which affects and affects all aspects of our life are broken. And though we live in the imperfect, we have a hope to experience the perfect, the perfect creation God wanted for us one day. So he was forsaken culturally. He was forsaken spiritually, literally forsaken so that you and I could know we aren't. Why would God go through this horrid experience to then forsake us. Christ experienced this so you and I would never have to. Yes, God feels distant. Yes, God feels like he's not in control. Yes, God feels like he's absent in the worst of our suffering. But it's not true. He is with us. And that's shown by what happened to Christ on the cross. So what do we do, what do, we do with all this? Yes, it was forsaken. There's all a lot, of, a lot of head noise. What do we actually do with it? Because there's no point in just filling our minds with stuff. It doesn't affect us. What do we do? I think there's kind of three areas that we've been thinking and praying about, trying to grapple with. For some of us, we need to kind of go, actually, I, I, I've never thought of any of this sort of stuff before. And hopefully you'll join us for Alpha. For some of us, we've been coming to church for so long, sometimes the penny drops and we go, I'm actually not a Christian. I've never realized that it was our sin, my sin that pierced Christ on the cross. Rather, it was their sins and I just happened to come to church. And when you're faced with the crucified Christ, you have to ask yourself, do I follow him? Do I repent of my sins? It's so easy to spend our whole lives never actually becoming a Christian. So for some of us, we need to think through, am I really a Christian? Is this the God that I follow or is the God that I follow some kind of made up thing in my head that I really like the feel of? Second thing, 
It's, it's, always, it, it's always difficult, isn't it? You know, because it is my first sermon with you. You know. And Emma and I, we, my wife and I, we were praying and just about, you know, we, we've, the reason we've, we've moved to HCC is because we've, we've loved the vision and we've loved the idea that this is a church that wants to be authentic. It wants to be authentic. It doesn't want to just kind of pretend like these things don't happen. And for some of us, we actually feel forsaken. We feel like God has removed himself from the pain of this world, when in fact it's the exact opposite. He endured the worst pain and suffering so that we could have hope. He endured the worst suffering so that we could have a relationship with the Father. He endured it so that we could know him as our Lord and Savior. We don't have to pretend like it's okay. The fact that Christ is hanging there on a cross basically sends, says, yes, this world is broken. Our hearts and our minds and our situations and our past is broken, but it's okay. I've come to fix it. So I'm going to, I'm going to tell us, share a story. We, Emma and I, we've been praying about this, whether we should do this. And the, the point, I don't, want, I don't want to tell you this and you go, oh, that, you know, that was a bit much. But I want to do it because I want us to be a community that's authentic. Okay? Now, for some of us, you will, you'll know what I'm talking about very quickly. For others of us, you've never suffered. And that's fine. You can, I hope that the head stuff that I've given you will help you. And for others of us, you're going to hear this story and be able to Place yourself in the different situation that you've come across. My wife was pregnant and we, we, realized, we realized something was very seriously wrong. And so we had to go to the hospital. Um, and I, just, I remember sitting, sitting there, Emma's obviously distraught, and I'm sitting there next to her, I'm trying to hold it together. And I remember very clearly there were two prayers that I was praying. The first is, God, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. God, don't do this. I just remember saying it. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. And then there was a moment where we realized what was actually happening, that my wife was having a miscarriage. And my, my prayer suddenly became, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I remember repeating, what, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Why? What are you doing? Did I feel like God was there in that moment? No. Did I have a warm sense of hope? No. Did I, did I feel forsaken? Did I feel like our family who had been faithful servants, did I feel like we were forsaken? Yes. There was no comfort. But this is the thing about having something tangible to cling to. When I look at the cross, that is God's way of saying that is wrong. That's his way of saying that shouldn't have happened. He says the world is broken and I've come to fix it. Jesus says I experience the totality of forsakenness so you don't have to. Do I sometimes still feel forsaken by God? Yes, but I know I'm not. That's what we started with. Without the cross, we have nothing. We have nothing to cling to. So 
So maybe we need to realize that we, we're not Christian. Maybe we feel forsaken. And in a moment, there's going to be a time where we can begin a process. We can come and say, actually, I, that's how I feel. I just need, to, I need the Holy Spirit to reveal in me more of the cross so I have something tangible to cling to. Finally, for some of us, you need to hear this. Now, stay with me, okay? <clears throat> your identity, who you are, your identity is not, is not in the sin of others. Your identity is not found in what has been done to you. Your identity is found in the pricelessness Christ gives you. It's not found in what's happened, but it's found in Christ's pricelessness that he gives you. And that radically changes our identity. It's not about pretending like things don't happen. It's not about saying that what happened is right. But what it is about saying is saying the cross is enough. I would never, look, I promise you, look at me. I would never bring this up if I felt like this was either luck or karma. But that we have something genuinely important. We have something tangible to turn people's eyes to. Your identity is not in the sin of others, but in the pricelessness that Christ gives you. And if you are in Christ, how much are you worth? You are worth total and utter forsakenness. And that he did that so that you would know you aren't. First one down. <clears throat> I think it's easy, isn't it? It's easy, it's, isn't it easy? Because I could have just said, oh, you know, Christ suffered on the cross and that's the end of it. <laughs> Happy Easter. But it's important, isn't it? It's imp- but wait, but wait, 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 wait. It's so easy, isn't it? Just, whoo, whoo, whoo. Let's sing a nice song. Quick, Tim, let's sing a nice song and make us feel good. And, and what we've done is, and the problem is, and this is so easy, isn't it? It's so easy when we have guitars and stuff that we can just kind of go, you know, yeah, 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 it's fine, it's fine. And this hour and a half we have together on a Sunday has absolutely nothing to say or do with our greatest pain. We cannot, we, it's so easy that we box God in. So I'm going to leave us, I'm going to leave a moment of silence. Some of us just need to kind of grapple with this. Pray through this. And what I'd like to do is, I'm going to invite the band up. If the band want to come, they can start playing so the Holy Spirit knows it's time to come. (laughs) He's up there waiting. (laughs) I think guitar this evening, Tim. (laughs) Be funny if if they just said next Sunday, we fired him. Look, I don't, some of you, you have no idea what I'm talking about, and that's fine. But for others, 
I don't want anyone, anyone to feel like... Because isn't it easy that on a Sunday evening going, what are you doing? Why are you bringing this up now? You've got two beautiful babies. How dare you tell a story about that? You have no idea what I'm going through. And some of you are feeling that, and that is okay. But what I don't want anyone to do is to leave with that anger tonight. So maybe some of us are like, I have no idea of articulating what I want prayer for, but I know I need prayer. You can just go and ask someone, just say, can you please pray for me? So Tim is actually going to pray. Play. And I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to invite us to stand. I'm going to worship. And then there's going to be an opportunity for anyone that wants to pray through those things. Maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you genuinely feel forsaken. And finally, maybe you feel like the the sin of others has been your identity. We had a picture at the beginning, um, before the service. And the picture was of this beautiful lion. And what had happened was it had been caged up. And it had lost its health, it lost its maim. Ultimately, it lost who it was. And it had been totally kind of locked away. And it's as if sometimes other people sin. That's what it's done to us. We've forgotten who we are. And if we're in Christ, we're sons and we're daughters of God. We are the righteousness of Christ. He that had no sin knew sin so that we would become the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to pray. And then we're going to stand. Heavenly Father, you are a faithful God. You are a God of goodness. Even in the uncertainty and marred and broken world we live in. And that brokenness can be in ourselves. That brokenness can be in creation. Brokenness can be at the hands of others. And yet you wanted to unequivocally, unashamedly say that you love us. And you did that through the cross. I pray that you would help each and every one of us no matter where we are or what we're going through, but see the cross for all of the hope that it brings. Amen.